Aren't you incredibly thankful that some 247 years ago, there were a group of courageous people living in this land who said enough is enough to those oppressive Brits who kept jacking up their taxes? I mean, can you imagine if our forefathers would have gone along with any and every unfair edict that came down from the king? Well, we can go that direction, right? <laughs> can you imagine what life would have been like if there would have been no revolution? I mean, in all likelihood, we'd be stuck watching soccer and eating tasteless pastries and wearing those funny-looking wigs. I mean, life would be absolutely awful, right? In, in all seriousness, I'm thankful to be an American. I'm thankful for the freedoms that we enjoy. I'm thankful for the sacrifices that were made to ensure those freedoms. And that makes dealing with this next section in our study of 1 Peter a bit of a challenge. However, I believe that Peter has some really important things to say to those of us who treasure our freedom. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 16, uh, Peter shares a challenging admonition to all those who are free. And that includes every single person who's been baptized into Jesus Christ, whether they live in a democracy or they live under a dictatorship. Peter writes this, live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Through the work of Christ on the cross, we've been set free from sin and death in every earthly structure so that we might live fully under the lordship of Jesus Christ. But any thought that this liberates us to ignore or rebel against the powers of be is greatly mistaken. As we will see in this text, we are to make every effort and then some to get along with government. That we as a people, followers of Jesus Christ, are to be model citizens even when we live under less than model leaders. Now, before we dive into this text, I simply want us to, to just pause for a moment and remind you of where we left off a couple of weeks ago. In a society that was not just uninterested but extremely hostile towards the message of Jesus Christ, Peter assured the churches that he was writing to that if you live your life well, eventually there are going to be people who come to faith in Jesus. Let's go back to 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 11 and 12. He says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires, which wage, against, which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Now in this section, what Peter does is this. He says, I want to give you some practical advice on what it looks like to live a good life in the context of various relationships. I want to tell you what it looks like to live a good life in your relationship with government. I want to tell you what it looks like to live a good life in your relationship with your masters or in our context, maybe our bosses. He says, I want to give you a, a practical uh, instruction on what it looks like to live a good life in relationship with your spouse. 
In the overarching advice he gives for living a good life in all of these relationships is exactly the same. His advice, really his command is this, it's simply to submit. And Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 13, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. Is submission easy? It's rarely easy, right? If ever easy, but it's a whole lot easier when you know that those who have authority over you are kind and they're fair and they do things exactly the way you want to do them. Yeah. But the moment that you see evidence of jerkiness in those who have authority over you, a spirit of rebellion begins to well up inside of us, right? I can only imagine for some of the recipients of Peter's letter that they were just chomping at the bit to rebel. As I've alluded to in previous weeks, to say these people were mistreated was a great, great understatement. Because of their position in society, they were slaves. They were from the poor class primarily. Because of their faith in Jesus Christ, they were subject to evil and harsh treatment. Life was not good for them. In knowing human nature, I imagine that many of these followers of Jesus, if not most of these followers of Jesus, were primed and ready for a good old revolution. And why not revolt against the evil powers that be? I mean, while all of these people had a home, their home residence was in a province of Rome, and that's not really where they belonged. They were aliens. They were strangers. Their citizenship was not in any of those places. They belonged to a different nation. They belonged to a holy nation. They were reminded of this by Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Because of their baptism into Jesus Christ, they resided in the kingdom of God. So to the kingdom of God was their primary allegiance. So why not? Why not stir up a long overdue revolution against those mean-spirited, oppressive, evil governments? Well, from a very practical standpoint, here's why not. A revolution would have been an act of insanity. Now, this letter that Peter is writing is during the era of Pax Romana. As most of you are aware, Pax Romana refers to that long season of peace enjoyed by Rome that lasted roughly from AD 27 to 180, or BC 27 to AD 180. This period of sustained peace was unlike anything that the world had ever experienced. You say, well, how exactly did Rome achieve and maintain that long season of peace? Here's how they did it. They carried a big stick. I mean, they absolutely crushed anybody who threatened them. And so Peter understood that if these followers of Jesus Christ gave any indication of an uprising, they would be met by the full might and fury of Rome. That even if there was a whisper of revolution, 
The church would have been absolutely crushed. It would have been insanity. It's this same fear of punishment that keeps many of us from rebelling, isn't it? We fall in line with authority whether we really want to or not because we don't want to get grounded. We don't want to be fired. We don't want to go to prison. And I think that's a really good thing because from what I can tell from movies, prison's not a good place to be. And so that, that fear of consequences serves its purpose. But that fear of, of, of consequences, it may keep outright revolution at bay, but it rarely elicits total obedience. When my motivation for submitting to government authority is no greater than the fear of consequences, then I find it very easy to cut corners when I feel like, you know what, I can probably get away with it. Or even if I don't get away with it, the consequences won't be all that bad. I think it's one of the primary reasons that so many of us followers of Jesus Christ treat traffic laws like they're, they're just kind of a suggestion. Or we think about certain numbers from reporting those on taxes, and we kind of go, you know what, that's kind of optional. Because we kind of feel like we could get away with it or it, it wouldn't be that bad. Our government says don't do that, but we say, what's the big deal if we do? It's my car. It's my money. It's my right to live my life the way that I want to. I'm free. And if I do get caught, I'll deal with the slap on the wrist. And let's be honest, most of us have some little private revolution going on in at least one area of our life, right? It, it might be traffic, it might be taxes, it might be tearing off that tag on your mattress that says it's against the law to do so. <laughs> but in one area, we're just sticking our eye in the finger of government, right? Because we don't want to comply. And so really, we need to have some greater motivation, some reason that's more compelling than simply fear of consequences. And so Peter gives us one. He gives us one in verse 13 and 14. He says this, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to the governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. Peter makes clear that we are to live under the rule of government, not just simply because we're afraid of what might happen if we don't, but because this is God's will for our lives, that we are to submit for the Lord's sake. You might want to underline that, for the Lord's sake. Not, although it's not explicitly stated in this text, it does remind us that government is God's design. It is his creation, and that God created government really to be good for us. God has entrusted those who have been placed in government to keep evil at bay and also to promote that which is good. And just a quick side note reminder, nobody reaches a place of governmental authority without he or she receiving the green light from God. In Daniel chapter 2 and verse 21, it said this, that God deposes kings, and he raises up others. Why he allows certain people to reach positions of power, it may not make a whole lot of sense to us, but make no mistake about this, that God has the final say in all elections and coups. 
God's in charge. He's still in control. And unfortunately, many people who reach positions of power, they don't exactly carry out their role exactly the way God desires for them to do so. I mean, we could spend all day talking about all the different ways that government, be it first century Rome, or our government today, has failed to stop evil and to promote that which is good. In fact, in too many instances, they've done the exact opposite. They have promoted what is evil, and they have stopped what is good. But the failure of government is no excuse for us to fail to abide by God's will for us as citizens of the kingdom of God who happen to reside in the USA or any other country for that matter. It is choosing to live under the authority of government that we honor God. And on the flip side, Paul reminds us that when we choose to rebel against government, we're actually rebelling against God. Paul says this in Romans chapter 13 and verse 1 and 2 and then verse 5. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Verse 5, therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. You say, wait a minute, it sounds like Peter and Paul are insisting that we submit to government under every and all situation or circumstances. Is that really what is expected as a follower of Jesus Christ? Are we just supposed to follow along blindly or or sit by silently when evil is being perpetrated by those in authority? Not, not at all. In fact, in verse 17, Peter reminds us of how we are to order our allegiances. He says this, Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Yes, we are to honor the emperor, he says. But more than that, he says, you are to fear God. And when you truly fear God, you're not going to put up with, you're not going to participate in that which clearly goes against the expressed will of God. You're just not. And we can't. We can't. When Christians silently comply, you end up with atrocities like the Holocaust and segregation. And so we can't just stand by silently. And throughout Scripture, we are reminded that there are people who said no to government so that they could say yes to God. You take the example of a man like Daniel. He gets the word that the king of Persia has offered this edict. You're not allowed to pray for 30 days to any other God or any other human being other than me, the king of Persia. And how does Daniel respond to that edict? Does he just say, okay, I'll take a 30-day hiatus, a month-long hiatus from prayer? No, he doesn't at all, does he? He shows respect to the king, but at the same time, he knows who he's dependent upon. He knows who his allegiance is to. It is to the king of kings. And so we read in Daniel chapter 6 and verse 10, now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, 
giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Government said, don't pray. Daniel said, I'm sorry, I can't go with that because my allegiance is to the king of kings. And so he continued to pray. Well, what about Peter and John when they were told by the Sanhedrin, hey, you need to knock it off with all that Jesus propaganda. Did they say, okay, we'll back off. We won't preach about Jesus anymore. How could they? Because they had been given a direct order by King Jesus to speak his name. And so we read these words in Acts chapter 4 and verse 18 through 20. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges, as for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Likewise, it's our duty as followers of Jesus Christ to make sure that it is God's will, not governments, that takes precedence in our lives and in our society. And that means that there is a time and place for protest and civil disobedience. But our protest and civil disobedience must be carried out in the confines of governmental structure. In other words, it's all right to the take to the streets to protest the action or inaction of governments, but to elicit the destruction of property or to storm and trespass on the Capitol or to suggest that there should be violence is anything but submissive. There is a time and a place for protest and civil disobedience if carried out in the right way. But just because you do not agree with or do not like a decision that government has made does not give you the right to disobey. I may not personally like that government raises my taxes, but I still have to pay my taxes. Why? For the Lord's honor, for his sake. It honors God. Again, the only time there is room for outright disobedience is when the actions of government clearly run contrary to the will of God. And even then, there is no justification for acting in a way that is out of step with the way of Jesus. Submission not only demands obedience, but it also requires showing honor to those who hold the position of government. You say, are you serious? That guy in the Oval Office is not my president. I'm not about to show him honor. Well, first, don't be naive. You're a citizen of this country. He was elected president. He's your president whether you like it or not. Now, you may not feel great about Joe Biden being your president, just like there are those who didn't feel great about Donald Trump being their president. You may not feel like either one of these individuals are qualified or should be world leaders, but I want to remind you of this, that the one who was seating on the emperor's seat at the time of this writing, he was much, much worse. Nero was a murderous tyrant who would do whatever was necessary to protect and promote his extravagant lifestyle. He would. 
And yet, when Peter writes this letter to followers of Jesus Christ, what does he tell them to do? He says, honor the emperor. Now, do you think his expectation of us is any less? You say, well, wait a minute. Does that mean I can't be critical of our leaders? No, that's not what I'm saying at all. Sure, we can be critical. However, I believe what it does mean is this, is that we must refrain from being vindictive and mean-spirited and demeaning in our criticism. I believe that it forbids us from telling half-truths and posting cruel jokes on social media, even though you think it's really, really funny. I also believe that it demands that we show respect in our speech, in our actions, even or perhaps especially when we're critical of our government's character or their performance. And what better way to show honor to our government leaders than to bring them before the throne of God on a regular basis? In fact, Paul reminds us in 1 Timothy that this is our duty. He writes in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1 and 2, I urge you then, first of all, the petitions, prayers, and intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Are you doing that? Listen, if we spend far more time criticizing those in positions of leadership than we do actually praying for them, then we have a great misunderstanding of what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. We should be spending more time in prayer. And this is absolutely vital because it is God who changes hearts and direction, not our critique. Guess what? You can spend all day posting your opinions on social media. You're probably not going to change anybody's mind. You spend that amount of time on your knees praying to the Father for his will to be done in this nation and throughout this world. No telling what might happen because God's in charge and he's in control and he is the king. And so we submit to him and we depend upon him and we go to him over and over again. Now, knowing that it's God's will for us to submit to government should be motivation enough. But Peter says, I'll give you just a little bit more. And he says this in verse 15, For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. In every age in society, from Peter's to ours, there are going to be foolish people who try to convince others that the, the church, our followers of Jesus, are a threat to the good of society. Now, as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, there's probably nothing that you or I can say that is going to change their mind about their position. But Peter reminds us, you can live in such a way that it shows just how ridiculous their position actually is. Now, this could, should be a compelling reason for us to be respectful, law-abiding citizens. But I think even more than that, it should compel us to partner with those in positions of authority to better our world, to better society. As JFK famously said years ago, Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. You ask that question, you know what that means for most of us? It means this, we got to put down the remotes and actually begin to serve. So here's what I want to ask you. 
What can you do? Where can you serve to make life better for people in the Bay Area? That's really the question that I want you to think about and pray about this week. Journal about it. And when you get a clear indication from the Holy Spirit, I really want to plead with you that you act upon it. Because we as the people of God should be leading the way and making our nation a much better place for all people. And I believe through the strength of God and Jesus, we can do just that. 